Hey, y'all. Uh, this is Rose, and this is the bonus podcast for Flash Forward. Um, how are you doing? How are you doing today? I'm having a terrible day, I will admit. Um, today is one of those days where every single piece of technology that I have and rely on to do my job stops working at the same time. You know, like those days. So our Wi-Fi isn't working. My laptop has to be restored from a backup, which is going to take another... Let's see, eight hours. Um, my phone is doing something weird. Um, my mouse won't connect to the backup computer that I'm using. So um, it's just sort of a mess. But I am here and this is the bonus podcast and we're going to make it happen anyway. Um, so yeah, Celebrity Cities. This episode is really fun. Um, I really enjoyed thinking about this question, um, both sort of historically and future-y. Um, so just a couple of fun facts and rabbit holes that I fell down for the episode. One of them you heard a little bit about. I read a very long list of songs that have parentheticals in their titles. Um, and it's actually uh, kind of fun to read the whole list of them. And I'm sure a linguist would have something interesting to say about the ways in which different artists use parentheticals. Like some of them start with the parentheses, some of them end with them, some put them in the middle. Uh, I'm sure there's like a thesis to be written about why that is and whether that changes throughout the era um, and, and all that, which I would totally read. That's the kind of thing I would read. Um, another weird list that I wound up on while trying to find examples of cities named after famous people. So I just like Googled cities named after people. And uh, there isn't actually like a Wikipedia list of cities named after people, which someone should make. But there is a list of foods named after famous people on Wikipedia. And the list is incredible. I will link to it in the show notes. But I just want to tell you about a couple of these food items that most of which I had not heard of. Um, and some of the ways that these food items are described in this list uh, is very funny to me. So here's an example. I'm just going to read to you from the list. Bach Orfel a cubiform confectionery named after Johann S. Bach following the style of the Mozart Kugel. There's just so much going on in this one sentence. So a cubiform confectionery apparently is just a square candy. It just sounds cooler to call it a cubiform confectionery. Whoever wrote this on Wikipedia, I love you. Um, it is named after Johann S. Bach. Yes, the incredibly famous musician who you've probably heard of. Following the style of the Mozart Kugel. What is a Mozart Kugel? Great question. I did not know. It is a candy named after Mozart, obviously, another famous musician. Um, the candy is round. It is not a cubiform confectionery. Uh, and it is made of pistachio marzipan and nougat covered in dark chocolate, which does, in fact, sound very delicious. Um, another one. Uh, did you know that nachos are actually named after a person, according to Wikipedia? So apparently in 1943, Ignacio Nacho Anaya, a Mexican restaurateur, came up with a dish of fried corn tortillas covered in melted cheddar cheese and jalapeno peppers. Nachos. I had no idea. Also, did you know that German chocolate cake is not named after Germany, the country, but instead a man named Sam German, who apparently developed sweet baking chocolate in 1852. I did not know that either. So this list is full of really fun facts. Um, I have a friend who is really good at trivia and actually runs his own trivia night. And I sent this list to him because I was like, this feels like full of trivia questions for like a trivia night. Um, it's just full of really fun facts. So I will, um, I'll link to it in the show notes. I mean, there's just so many like Melba toast, Hamantash, praline, and so many foods that I've truly never heard of, some of which sound delicious and some of which sound absolutely disgusting. So I'll link 
to that in the show notes for this bonus podcast so you can peruse. Tell me your favorite. I want to know which foods you're excited about learning about on that list. Okay. Back to cities. Um, So I did a lot of research into other cities that we could have covered that were not St. Petersburg, Russia. So Fordlandia, for example, I mentioned it's the city that Henry Ford founded in Brazil. And I thought about maybe talking about that city instead. There's some really interesting stuff written about Fordlandia and kind of the politics and sort of colonialism of of Henry Ford showing up in Brazil and being like, I'm going to make a city. Um, Fordlandia is now abandoned and it never really became a successful place exactly. Um, I mean, he was really there for resource extraction. It wasn't really like a city that he wanted regular people to live in. It was mostly for people who worked for him. So I decided not to do that one. Um, I also thought about going to Tarzana, the neighborhood that the author of Tarzan founded. Um, It's not that far from me. I mean, it's in California. Um, It's like a, a couple of hours drive away. And I thought maybe I would go and kind of like see what it was like. Um, But then the pandemic happened. And so I did not do that. Um, Also, it's just a neighborhood. It's not its own city. So I decided not to do that one. And really just the more I read about St. Petersburg and Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, the more fitting it really felt. And I was really glad that Kate, who you heard on the show, agreed with me. So that was really fun. So I'm glad we talked to her. Um, And that actually brings us to the real big thing that I caught from this episode that I wanted to tell you about. So Kate mentioned this statue that Catherine the Great commissioned and dedicated to Peter, to Peter from Catherine. It is called the Bronze Horseman, and it is genuinely a very cool statue. Um, You can look up pictures of it on the internet. Um, I posted some pictures of it on our social media pages. So Catherine hired French sculptor I'm going to probably mispronounce his name. French is not a language that I am very familiar with, but Etienne Maurice Falconet for this project. And he began working on the casting of the bronze in 1775. So casting bronze um, now and then, but especially back then, was really dangerous. I mean, it involves pouring molten metal into sculpted shapes. um, And obviously that molten metal is extremely hot. Um, and at one point in the creation of the Peter figure, the mold actually broke and this incredibly hot molten bronze spilled everywhere and set a bunch of fires. And it was this whole big calamity and the whole thing kind of and the whole thing had to be redone. Um, another thing to know about the figure part of the statue is that Peter's face on the statue was not actually sculpted by Falconet. So like many famous artists, he had a bunch of apprentices. And one apprentice in particular was tasked with creating Peter the Great's face for the sculpture. And her name was Marie-Anne Collot, and she was 18 years old at the time. And she modeled the face on Peter's death mask and portraits that she found in sort of the royal court. But it actually was not a given that Marie Ancolo would sculpt Peter's face. Um, in fact, Falconet had actually done three different plaster models of the face himself, and Catherine had rejected all of them. Um, it was only when Colo stepped in that Catherine was happy with the face, so she wound up doing the face. You can still see some of Marie Ancolo's work today. Um, her sculpture of her former boss, Falconet, is at the Museum of Fine Art in Nancy, France. Um, the Russian court loved her. They were sort of enamored by this very young artist who was so incredibly talented. So she did actually a couple of other um, sculptures for the Russian court. Um, Catherine the Great really loved her. So she's kind of an interesting figure. Um, Anyway, the bronze horseman wound up taking 12 years to complete. But the hardest part was not actually, you know, pouring the molten bronze into casts or getting Peter's face right. 
the real challenge of the bronze horseman was the other sort of huge element of the sculpture that you might not even really like think about when you look at it. And that is the really the thing that I think makes the statue stand out and makes it kind of cool and interesting and, and different from a lot of other horseman statues is that the figure, the bronze figure of Peter on his horse, it is perched on top of this gigantic rock. And that rock is what I want to talk about. That rock actually has a name of its own. It's called the Thunderstone. It was called the Thunderstone then at the time. And it's this huge granite boulder. Um, they found the Thunderstone in Lacta, which is sort of a neighborhood or an area on the outskirts, outskirts of St. Petersburg. It's right on the water. Um, and it got its name, the Thunderstone, because a local legend claimed that at one point, this incredibly loud crack of thunder had split a piece off the rock. So the story goes that Catherine saw this giant rock and demanded that it be used for the statue. And not only did she want it used, she actually wanted it moved before Falcone did any sort of cutting or shaping of the rock. Now, remember, this giant rock is in a swamp. We are in a swamp. Like I, we talked about that on the episode, but St. Petersburg is in a swamp. So you have this huge, incredibly huge rock in a swamp. And Catherine the Great wants it moved closer to St. Petersburg, into the main area where it's going to end up being. Um, and that is no small feat. So Falcone immediately knows that he has to call in help for this. He is an artist, not necessarily an engineer. Um, and a man named Marinos Carboris answers his call. So Carboris is actually Greek originally, but he had served as a lieutenant colonel in the Russian army, and he had studied engineering in Vienna. And that's very important because this required brand new engineering. So Carboris has this plan. He's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait for winter so that the ground freezes, so that we're not trying to like drag this rock through just water, marshy slush. So we're going to wait for winter, the ground freezes, and then we're going to drag the stone over this hardened ground to the sea. We're going to put the rock on a barge supported on either side by two full-size warships, because it's so heavy, you have to make sure that the barge doesn't just collapse. And we're going to ship it around the little bay and, and to its home. But dragging this rock is not simple, right? Um, in 1882, so this is a while after the statue is complete, um, a magazine estimated, a French magazine estimated that the rock weighed about 1,500 tons. So it's this huge, super heavy rock. So Carboris actually developed a brand new metallic sledge that could slide over these bronze spheres, sort of like ball bearings, except that ball bearings had not been invented yet. They were invented in 1794. So this is before that. So he invents this sort of method of getting this rock to slide over these, this sort of metallic sledge on these um, bronze little round thingies, spheres. And... Um, the other thing about this is that they don't actually have enough materials to build the whole track to the sea all in one go. So they have to kind of keep assembling and disassembling it as they push this incredibly heavy rock along. So it's kind of like that scene in The Wrong Trousers, Wallace and Gromit, where they're like racing the penguin and laying down the track frantically, um, except that it's way slower than that. It took 400 men nine months to get this rock from its original spot to the boats. So in total, just moving the stone, like just moving this rock not even the sculpture part, moving the rock took two years. And when the stone arrived on the boats, um, it was such a big deal that Catherine the Great actually created a bronze medal that says close to daring on it. So it was this huge, 
deal. Um, And so when you look at pictures of the bronze horseman, I hope that you will not just marvel at the statue, but you will also take a good appreciative look at the rock that it is on. Now, the rock has now been sort of shaped and sculpted, and a lot of the original has been gone. So the rock was much bigger when it was first shipped across because Catherine demanded that it be moved before it was sculpted for some reason that I'm not totally clear on. Um, But it is sort of this really cool part of the statue, and it also makes it much taller and much more imposing. Um, So definitely take a good look at the rock. The rock is a key piece of the sculpture, and I hope that you appreciate it. Okay, that is sort of the big thing that I cut from the episode because it's really not that relevant to celebrity cities exactly, but I do find it super interesting. So I hope that you also found it interesting. Okay, cool. Um, What else are we going to talk about? Okay, next week, next week, next week. The advice show that I have been sort of constantly talking about is officially launching. I have the first season. No, I have the first episode done. Um, I have the second episode almost done and a bunch of interviews done for the later ones. Um, I already played you a teaser for it. I cannot wait for you to hear it. I think it's going to be really fun and cool and a little more loose than Flash Forward. So um, one thing to know about it, and I can't remember if I've already said this. Maybe I have. So apologies if I've already said this. But one thing to know about it is that um, Flash Forward is family friendly generally um, with a few exceptions like there's no cursing. Um, I warn you if there's going to be like sexual content or anything like that. Um, It's for teachers and parents can, you know, can and do. I've heard listen to it with their kids. Um, Advice for and from the future is going to be a little bit more um, adult themed. So there will be cursing. There will be we're going to talk about sex. Um, it's I've been kind of joking that it's like flash forward after hours. So just so you know, that's kind of like the vibe of the show. It's a little bit more adultish kind of. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't care if your kids hear about like cursing or sex. I, you know, do whatever you want. But I know some teachers have to be really careful about that stuff. Okay. On the same day, that, that would be Tuesday. It's Tuesday, June 2nd, which is the day that the new podcast launches. On that same day, the membership program I have been talking about is also going to launch. Um, and so... I want to thank everybody who has like commented on that post about it, who sent in like emails and stuff, giving me their thoughts, asking questions. That's super valuable feedback. Um, It's been really helpful to talk you through kind of like what you want to know, what's confusing. Um, I'm still kind of like getting that finalized. Um, The hardest part so far, and I think I've mentioned this, but the hardest part of it has been figuring out how to price the membership. Um, Just because I don't want anybody who is currently a patron here to feel like it's totally out of their reach. I mean, it's going to be more expensive than many of the donors, many of the patrons here, right? If you're spending $5 an episode, um, and it's two episodes a month, that's $10 a month, right? And then so if the membership program is $10 a month, then you, that's kind of equivalent. But anybody who is a member who is a patron at 7 or $10 is going to get more for less money, technically. Um, and it's just sort of hard to figure out how to price it such that I'm not making it so expensive that people can't join and nobody joins, but also that I'm not like accidentally shooting myself in the foot by pricing it too low because it is a lot of stuff. Um, if you're like a $10 patron here, that's about $20 a month, assuming you don't have a cap on your Patreon, which many people do. And that's totally fine. I get it. Um, And so it's like, maybe I should make it $20 a month, but $20 a month as like a baseline entry just feels like so much money. Like what if someone starts listening to the advice show, has no idea about flash forward and is like $20 a month. Like I don't, anyway, blah, blah, blah. I've already talked about all this stuff. I'm trying to figure it out still. I think, so memberful suggests that you do just two options, like a monthly and an annual, and you don't have tiers because they, that's their suggestion. when I talked to them on the phone. Um, I may just like not 
follow their advice and I might do two tiers. So like a $10 and a $20 or something like that. Um, I don't know other places, like some, some places will do like a lifetime membership where you spend like $2,000 or a thousand dollars and you're just like a member for life. And that seems like wild to me that anybody would do that because like who has $2,000 laying around, but some people do. So like maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should think about that. So I, I obviously have to get this figured out because it launches in less than a week, but, um, I have all the actual sort of like backend infrastructure set up and everything is ready and, and adding tiers on memberful is not hard. So, um, I can, I can change it pretty quickly as you did sort of decide what I want to be doing. Um, so that is that, um, yeah, that's the like main thing I'm thinking about. So lots and lots of stuff are, is happening between now and Tuesday. Um, I'm working on a promo. I'm working on a couple of other little video things. There's an Instagram account, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I might do like a little fun photo shoot. Um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, see what I can fit in. So I, I hope you like it. I really do hope you like it. But also like, if you don't, if what you're here for is it's going to be different from flash forward. Um, I sent it to a friend who's a, a flash forward listener and he, he was like, you know, for him, it just like, wasn't what he was looking for. Right. Which is totally fine because it's, it's going to feel really different. It's going to be much more loose and conversational. Um, it's not going to feel like this reported sort of like really tightly edited thing. It's going to be more of like me talking to a person doing advice stuff. So, um, I just want to say that like, if you don't like it, that's totally fine. <laughs> like it's a different style of podcast. It's a different, it's a different thing, right? Like it's a different podcast. Um, so I like have no hard feelings about people who don't like it or it's not like the kind of thing they're looking for, right? It's it's going to be different from Flash Forward, but like spiritually similar, if that makes any sense. So yeah, that's um that's that. I'm nervous. Obviously, launching a new show is like really scary um, at any time, but especially now and especially when like I'm my own individual, like singular human trying to like run this small media empire. So I am obviously like, very terrified that no one will listen and that, or that people will be like, this sucks. I hate it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm nervous. Uh, I will probably not sleep for like the couple days before very well. Anyway, that's, um, that's what I'm working on. Um, I got to figure it out for next Tuesday because that's when it goes live. <laughs> okay. That is all for this bonus podcast episode. Uh, now I get to go back to trying to fix my computer, which is very fun. Um, I hope that you are all doing great. I will talk to you soon. Um, oh, right. I end these with a secret now. Um, here is, okay, here's one. Um, I have a problem. The first step to admitting, what, what is it they say? The first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. My problem is that I'm addicted to whiteboards. Um, I just keep adding them to my office. It's not a very big office. And I have six whiteboards currently sort of like everywhere. I have the sticky ones that go on the walls. So like half my walls are now whiteboards. I have the ones that you can like move around. I have a small ones and big ones. I have a lot of whiteboards and it's, um, it's great. You can erase them. You can put sticky notes on them. Some of them are magnetic, so you can use magnets also, and you can turn your walls into workspaces. I love whiteboards. That's, that's it. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> Bye.